is a Momentum Media production. Nerd alert! Property nerds, <laughs> the home for data-driven property investors, where we uncover Australia's hot and cold markets, latest headlines and trends. It's Arjun Paliwal here, and we're back for another episode of The Property Nerds. And uh, today, a bit of a different episode, because we've got some interesting, fun, and exciting collaborations going on. And Lee is not in the house for today's episode. As you, as some of you may know, we are both expecting our first child. And so, as a result, um, naturally, Lee can make some things and can't always make some things. She's keen as to to be on the show today and, and join us, especially with a special guest that we've got on. But um, she wanted to have that time and we're both pumped for, I guess, the start of the whole family journey and things like that. And then a little bit nervous, but happy nervous. So can't be any more excited. And in terms of today's episode, we've, we're going into the world of our research papers again, but this time we've actually done our first ever co-collaboration. And so for I think co-collaboration, I'm just thinking back, is that even a word? Because collaboration is like you're with someone else. Isn't co always a collaboration? Anyways, that's a side one. Uh, but we created a new word here today. And so everyone who's been in the house has been tuning in and we often share research papers. And at Investigate, we've been doing this for over a year now and coming up to, you know, I think 15th launch or 16th launch of these monthly papers. And they have been getting immense attention. Thanks to you all who tune into the show. And on that note, we've actually crossed over 300,000 downloads. So a big thank you to you all who've supported everything and more on the Property Nerds podcast. And we're just glad that you're loving this, getting a lot of value. Because if I go back to when I first started, I wasn't quite sure if the data numbers was going to flow through audio so much since it's typically quite visual. And that's how we work in our world, especially. But it's been well received. So thank you all. So we're going to continue that. And we're going to continue sharing these research papers here from the Investigate team and keep them regularly on a monthly basis. And in today's episode, I get to collaborate with someone who's not only a very, very talented individual in what they do, but they actually are also a dear friend, someone I've known for many years and been, you know, seeing on their journey and their growth. And, you know, someone I picked the brain on from time to time as well over the last five years because an absolute mastermind in the world of finance. So I've got here with me, Redham. Hey, Redham, how are you, mate? Hey, Arjun. Absolute pleasure to be here. So much to congratulate you on. Um, you know, becoming a father is very, very exciting. This research paper, 300,000 downloads, you know, well done. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you, mate. And look, the pleasure is mine as well to be here with you. And for those who haven't met Redham, I'll give you a little bit of my understanding and my spill of Redham, and then I'll get him to fill the gaps in case I've absolutely botched it. But Redham is uh, the co-director at Confidence Finance. And if that name doesn't give you confidence, I, I don't know what will, but how about this? Redham has a background in property investing and finance and research and economics. And these are some of the core factors, right? Because it's market trends, it's skin in the game, and it's finance actual output. So when it comes to that, they've settled almost at 500 million plus in terms of lending. They've been you know, having personal portfolios amongst the team. So Redham's portfolio is a multi-multi-million dollar property portfolio, and he has been successful across many aspects of personal investing. But he also comes from a background of uh, ex-treasury, uh, come from the Ernst & Young or EY, for those who love their acronyms in the corporate world, and uh, economics, finance, all of those backgrounds put together. And I've had the pleasure of having Redham on the uh, Investigate podcast show, actually, and this is the first time we're here together on the Property Nerds show because 
you know, he loves his data, he loves his research, but most importantly, he practically breaks it down and allows you to implement the outputs of quality research and data. And that's the difference between those who truly understand something versus those who know something. And that's the big difference you want as you enjoy this podcast episode and as you go back to any others, if it's the first time tuning in. So, Redham, that's my little intro for you. And yes, I do take credit card. <laughs> that was very, very kind. I can't do better than that, Arjun. No way at all. Yeah, the key point that you just said is about understanding research. And the best thing about this research piece that you've just released, that InvestorKit's about to release or has just released, is it gives actionable and practical tips for investors. It's not just data. It's not just information. It's broken down to information that someone can use and broken down to what their next decision point can be from the research that you've done here. So that was my favorite thing reading through this. You know, it's great to be here and I can't wait to get into it and talk to you about it. Thank you, Ritam. And so, mate, um, obviously I can't take all the credit here. This is a, a co-written <laughs> research paper here by the Confidence Finance team and Investigate. And in particular, we're going to be deep diving into the findings. And the topic yep. itself is the five rules for investing during high interest rate environments. And there's nothing more topical than that than looking at the last sort of 15 months and mm -hmm. seeing where the market cycles are. But Redham, if we start very high level, five rules here, yep. and we're going to spoil some of the rules in advance, but if you were to pick <laughs> out one of them that I guess stood out the most to you and something that mattered the most to you, which one do you feel would be the one of these five that maybe we should talk about first? I think the key to this, the number one rule is that individuals matter more than the market itself. So this is mm -hmm. all about how an individual's investor's situation is the number one factor to determine their next steps. The market is something outside their control. So it's about understanding the market as much as possible and understanding where in the marketplace suits that investor. So this in my opinion, is golden rule of this report and also in investing in general. You know, it's about the individual and understanding that there are different times, market cycles and things like that, but you matter more than the market. Yeah, that's a very interesting point, mate. And when you think of that, I guess we talked about a few points and this was almost like how to always remain, I guess, ready to buy. And this is a point that we both enjoyed talking about because that you part, not so much the market and really understanding that readiness of buying, this is something people underestimate because I think there's people on two sides. One is they didn't know that they were ready, but they thought they weren't. And then one is the eager beaver who thinks they're ready or, or wants to have a crack at it, but probably shouldn't be investing. Could you take us through maybe unpacking this for all the listeners today? Yeah, sure. So there's some key rules that you kind of want to follow if you're going to become an investor. So one very, very easy to understand one is, are you actually saving money? So this goes back to economic principles 101, where investment itself, the first thing that comes to it is saving money. So if you can save money yourself, then you have money to invest. So that's probably the starting point. And one rule that we've put into this research piece is about 25% of net of your net income, if you can save a healthy balance and you can see your savings rate grow over time, you now are in a decision point about what do you do with those savings? You know, you can invest in cash, which is probably the most common lazy form of investment. It's what you do when you do nothing else. Mm. But over time, historically, over long periods of time, that is not going to deliver you returns and growth that other asset classes will. So action is important from there. 
it all comes down to as a starting point for the eager beavers out there is you got to start with savings because that's generally how you start property investing or it gives you a good signal that hey look you may want to become a property investor because you're in a position where you're saving week to week or month to month that's a it's a very important point made and you know what that's made me realize is that whilst it's more relevant than ever in the high interest rate period yep it's actually just as relevant in the low interest rate periods because if you go to both sides of the equation and you talk this beautiful and most exciting trend that we used to the buzzword called positive cash flow property Yep. And if we talk about today's market, it almost doesn't exist, right? True. Because you can take holistic views of cash flow. By the way, someone's going to pull me up on this and go, no, but it exists because 6% yield, 7% yields are out there. They are out there. But if you take into account rates, water, council, insurance, maintenance, vacancy, I call bullcrap if you think a 6 to 7% is positive cash flow today, right? And so we both know that. So therefore, if you're buying property, if you're not saving, you are already going into the negative day one. So your savings acts as an ability to handle the negatives. And that's the difference now, right? People have to handle the negatives. And so when you now flip this over, yes. when you go to the positive cash flow times, this is where it gets interesting. You might think that, hey, you're not needing to save because it's positive cash flow. But even the high five, six, seven percent yields back in the day when they're positive were actually only positive on a two, three, four, five K per annum. All it takes is a couple of split system yep. air cons to go or a hot water system. And suddenly that cash flow is getting dipped into again. So you must be a saver if you want to be an investor. So thank you, Redden, for point one. What was point number two on that, man? Uh, let's get into it. So one of the details, so this get the detail about investing itself. So most property investors begin investing with debt. So they're not going out there with cash and just purchasing a property itself. So that's the reason why we talk about negative cash flow and positive cash flow. Otherwise, almost all property investments will be positive cash flow if you're just using cash to go and purchase. But most people have take on mortgage debt. You know, 80% LTVs is quite a common, probably the most common LTV ratio when you go and purchase a property investment for the broader market, low, lower amounts for other groups and higher amounts for younger investors. So you'll find that you'll be in negative cash flow when you're at 80% LTVs in high rate environments. But it's about understanding your finances and understanding those numbers in different rate environments. And today's a high rate environment. So it's about understanding what it looks like because your financial position will determine whether you're ready to make that next investment or not. So in high rate environments, we're changing the numbers, we're changing the hurdle rates, we're making it harder to pass. But those that do pass under these settings are more and show that they can continue to invest, they will still be able to get money from banks mm. typically because they can demonstrate serviceability and their cash flow demonstrates that, hey, they're still saving even in a high rate environment. You're probably in a setting where you want to be moving your assets from low return assets over time, historical historically low return assets like cash to riskier assets like property you know, and other asset classes you know, to just essentially compensate you a little bit better for inflation over time. So that would be a key part. Know your numbers and know how to break down your numbers. And, and we go into depth in this report about how to actually do that, you know, P&I repayments, interest-only repayments, what it looks like, how to stress test and how much of a buffer you need per property to actually work out whether you're ready to invest or not. So there's practical tips in this report that give you that breakdown. 
Yeah, it's a key part in terms of that risk management piece. And that's what we're talking about here, right? We're not talking about what a traditional property you know, expert or commentator would say, which is just go buy it. And it's always great to buy. We're starting with you, the risk and management fundamentals, yep. because if you manage them, it's all about knowing that when you gain comfort in the process, whether it's buffers per property, minimum rental yields, purchase price limits, or even percentage of net savings per month, you start to control the factor that, you know, really either gets excited or stressed when you go into investing. Yes. And then you start to then go, now I'm in the market, I'm able to do these things. And so it's such an important part regarding these factors. But one thing that stood out to me the most, Redham, of what you said was, if you are satisfying tests of finance in this environment, yes. you're probably really okay because yes. they're measuring you at what, seven, eight, nine, 10% assessment rates these days. What are they traveling at these days, Redham? Pretty close to 10%. So, you know, an investor borrow rate, you know, call it 6% with a 3% buffer. That's a 9% interest rate that they're buffering you on, that they're mm. assessing you on as if mortgage repayments are going to be based at 9%. If you're Taking on an interest-only loan, um, which a lot of investors do, you know, the effective assessment rate is kind of closer to that ten percent benchmark rate because they reduce the loan term that they assess you over. So, ten percent is just a really good benchmark number to be like, hey, that's what the bank is stress testing me on, and the bank is still giving me funds because I'm effectively a high saver in this environment. Probably means that if you've got savings and a deposit there or equity there, and you're in a positive cash flow situation in the bank size at a 10% assessment rate, it's, you know, you're a healthy, healthy borrower at the moment. So you might want to consider whether taking a deeper look as to should I take on more risk in my portfolio and look at investing in property. Um, so that's the starting point. Um, awesome. So Ridham, that's another rule that's quite important, right? You matter more than the market. Now, yes. mate, I want to talk about one of my favorite ones. There's always something somewhere growing. And this is rule number five. And I know for those following along or listening in, we're jumping from rule number two to five, but this is just more so me and Red and picking out what really stood out to us. If you want to grab yourself a copy of this report and you're tuning in, investikit.com.au, our white paper section, and you see it produced by Confidence Finance and Investikit. And that's five rules for investing during high interest rate environments. And Rule number five is one of my favorites because it's the biggest myth buster in the space of yes. property investing and the fact of there's always something somewhere growing. Redden, when you hear this, what does this mean to you when it comes to analysis of property markets, especially during high interest rate periods? Yeah, this is a wonderful point. So Sydney investors can often get caught up and think Sydney is the only marketplace in Australia. And there are many, many markets and they grow at different rates. So from a portfolio structuring perspective for investors, this offers you a big opportunity. It allows you to invest in property, but be diversified in your return profile by investing in different states. So diversification in finance theory is a form of insurance. And by diversifying your assets into different locations that are growing at different rates and are correlated to different things. So Sydney may be more correlated to interest rate changes than Adelaide, perhaps. It offers opportunities for investors to you know, split their portfolio, look at different cities and look at different locations to you know, add in buffers and protection to their portfolio. So something somewhere is growing. Um, so if you understand that and you recognize that, and markets do grow at different paces, then you can 
benefit from that by investing in different locations. That's my key takeout. And, you know, Investikit does some wonderful research here about where those markets that may be growing specifically are at different points in time. Yeah. And I think on that note, Redham, like when you think of your clients that do come to you for finance and you help them out, what sort of purchase prices do you see ranging from? Because this is another interesting part. You talk about the Sydney investors thinking yes. Sydney is Australia, yeah. but that also does mean that people in Sydney sometimes think that if I don't have a million bucks, I can't invest. Where yeah. do some of these purchase prices range from when you start to help people with confidence? Yeah, it's true. It all ties back down to income. So, you know, the very high income profiles will probably be more comfortable investing in at higher price points. But that makes up a much smaller percentage of the market. In this report, there's some great research about the quantiles, the percentage quintiles of the marketplace and where demand has fallen relative to others. And through this rate rising cycle, we have seen more demand shift to lower price properties. That's just affordability at play. So we see clients purchase pretty much across the country at different price points, but the majority of investment transactions are probably between the 300 to you know, $800,000 range across different capitals and regional and big regionals. And yeah, that's probably where the bulk of investment activity is. While obviously really high income clientele um, would be looking in other markets and often produce purchase different types of assets too. Yeah, that's actually a great call out. So we in this report, for those tuning in, this is page 10 of the report. And this was under the rule number two. And there was a percentage of sales volumes in median price quintile. So yes. what that was, was we looked at March 2022 and March 2023. And this one year of data and looking at the different quintiles. So first, second, third, fourth, fifth, and fifth being the highest price, first being some of the lowest price. And what happened was, in my opinion, two causes. One was the borrowing capacity cycles shifting and people having cost of credits, meaning their borrowing capacities are down 30 to 40%. And then the second reason was naturally in hesitations and being forced to spend lower, you end up going to lower, seeking higher rental yields for investors and seeking more affordable stepping stones for buyers too. And so also first home buyers started coming into the mix and that too was granted in the more affordable space. And so what we saw was on the fifth quintile, the most high in premium price points, transaction volumes moved from 16.1% down to 14 on the year on year. On the fourth quintile, it was 19.3 down to 18.8. So you can see the top two sort of premium buckets of property reduced their transactions. But then if we go to the most affordable first quintile, mm -hmm. transactions jumped from a whopping 16.7 up to 20% volumes in that point. Oh. So even though property is more expensive today, than it is, for, say, three years ago, five years ago, that one-year shift suddenly was people going to operate in more cheaper prices just yes. because of borrowing capacities and that. So such a good such a good pickup, mate. And when it comes to this final rule, um, Redham, I think another thing that you know we were talking about you know, pre, pre this show as well was actually just how little the interest rate periods of, of rising have actually correlated with areas and markets falling, which is very interesting to see. So if you think about you know, the Melbourne market, we took this in this rule number five, which was page 24. And we looked at rule number five, where we saw, hey, something's always growing somewhere. And do they mm -hmm. always grow or fall with interest rates declining or growing? And when you look at Melbourne, it actually declined six times over 1977 to 2023. Like, firstly, can we take a small pause and just go, hold on a minute, six declines in 40 
like almost yeah. 50 years now, actually, 50 yeah, yeah. years of data. I'm showing showing how difficult that was to calculate. That's how fast time is, right? Time's yeah. flying. But yeah. mate, 50 years, doesn't it show you something interesting firstly on the property front of resiliency in Australia? Yeah, for sure. Australian, this cycle has shown something and it's something I'm learning because it's probably my first experience as a property investor seeing a rapid rate rising cycle is the resilience of Australian property. We've never had, this is another statistics, not in this report, but similar to one, that you've just said is we've never had two calendar years of negative growth in Australian housing. This is mm. Australia national in 40 years. So the last time we had two negative calendar years was, you know, in the seventies at some point, it's pretty amazing. It showcases how resilient markets are and how quickly adjustment periods can be as well. So downturn periods can be over much quicker than one expects and thinks about. So we saw some adjustment, definitely, particularly in Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane as well. Across the eastern seaboard, we saw a fairly material adjustment when rates began rising last year. So it was a little over a year ago where the Sydney housing market was deteriorating pretty quickly. So that sensitivity was there. But now as rate rises, or well, the pace of rate rises has slowed down dramatically compared to last year, and we're more accustomed to a higher rate environment. There's no shock to rates that's occurring at the moment. Yes, it is dialing up progressively, but there's no more shock in the minds of Aussies out there. We kind of expect it now. The markets, like the Sydney and Melbourne housing markets, have shown much more resilience as well. So that top quarter that you just talked about, they fell the most to begin with, and transaction values fell the most over that year period that um, is covered in this report. But that is showing that the most sensitive markets to interest rate changes have been the higher debt size markets and the higher price markets. So yeah, there's a lot of interesting research that's been coming out and data that's coming out from this rate rising cycle because it's the first time we've had it in such a long time. Yeah, I think, uh, Redim, that you know what that's taught me? The power of sentiment. That's yeah. what that's taught me because when I think of fundamentals, fundamentals to me mean that someone can or can't. Like you fundamentally can or you fundamentally can't like have something go in a certain direction. And this last 12 months has been an absolute display of the opposite. It isn't a case of can or can't for Australians. It was a case of, do I want to? And so what that meant to me was going, hey, people didn't want to transact because if financing was a huge issue, we would not have seen a refinance boom. We saw a refinance boom. Yes. Right. And so it's to true. me, that says this whole, I'm stuck, I'm in mortgage prison, was nowhere near as bad as people were saying, mm -hmm. because everyone was moving. You cannot refinance if you're not stuck. It's like if, if you're stuck, you cannot refinance. Yes. So that was the first thing I learned that Australia is more a country of, if I choose to or don't to, is more of a don't want to, is more powerful than a do I have to, because people's positions are far stronger than what many anticipated. Yes. And not saying there aren't people hurting. And I'm not saying that there aren't people impacted by this. There are totally people out there. But on a mass majority, spreadsheets, charts, whatever you want to call it, data review, delinquency rates remain super low. Supply remained super low. Yes. Finance movements, very, very high. And price decline depth or length of cycle in certain areas was very short. Yep. All clear signs of things shifted. Like you said, the first interest rate cycle I have seen, you've seen, in Australia to go in this direction. And it was just a whole bunch of confusion of what should I or do I? I'm not sure if I should. Maybe I'll set out. Maybe we should hold. Maybe we should watch. 
And as that cloud is passing for many, and not saying interest rate cycles are over, but as it's passing for many in terms of the, the confidence piece, we can all agree that the majority is behind us. Whether there's some left or none left, no one can sit here and say that the majority isn't behind us. Yes. And so I think that's the biggest thing I've learned is how important sentiment is, both now and in history of when COVID as well is another great example. But I think moving forward, when it comes to our data modeling, yes, we factor sentiment, but more than ever, we're going to look at ways of capturing sentiment more and more in unique ways using AI, using you know some of the modeling we're building to capture sentiment more than ever, because I think that's what the last sort of three years has showed me from pandemic to interest rate cycle is it is a huge impacting point in Australian property. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. That sentiment uh, being a larger and faster contributor to changes in direction in prices I think is a partly a function of the amount of debt in the system now. So at least with interest rate changes. So because of the quantum of debt being much higher, Australian households are carrying much more debt than you know a decade ago during the last rate rising cycle. It means that the speed in which price changes occur and markets shift is happening quicker. So that could be data, access to information, sentiment being a big one. These are making faster changes in directions. So if you look at price charts, particularly of Sydney and Melbourne, you'll see greater volatility over the past seven, eight years versus the two decades before it. So you'll see two of the biggest decline periods that these markets have ever recorded. And sandwiched in between them is two very large boom periods all happening at the same time. So that's suggesting volatility is applicable to housing markets now. So that's a little bit of an interesting change. And I think that's being driven by credit markets and the the size of the debt profile that Aussie households have and the sensitivity Aussies have to changes in debt conditions as well. So there's some interesting research bits that are coming out, you know, putting in a retrospective lens and taking a look. These are some takeouts that I've seen. And Redim, on that debt review piece, there's yep. obviously a few changes that are coming to the marketplace outside of this research paper when it comes to assessment mm-hmm. rates. And and for those who want to just know and remember our call on assessment rates, uh, in previous research papers, we said some of the five trends to look out for or seven trends, I think it was, to look out for for 2023. And some of those trends incorporated assessment rate shifts. And there are some shifts happening in that, not officially, APRA-wise, but still, and still happening amongst banks. And they are in play. Could you give us some intel on them? Because you've had a lot of people reach out to you for refinancing. Yep. So I'd love to know more about some of those rules and what's changing and how also people can get in touch with you on the financing part for that, because it's a very important part considering the times we're in right now. Yeah, this is particularly important for investors. So what's changed is for an investor who simply wants to refinance their portfolio from one bank to another. So this is no new debt, no changes to the debt that you have other than swapping it from one provider to another to lower the cost of that debt and to reduce your repayments as a result. Banks are far more willing to do that than they were just a few weeks ago. So investors in particular have been hit with big borrowing power changes over the past 12 months. That's because they hold a lot of debt and the assessment interest rates have gone up and the assessment rates at 3%. So what they've done now is a number of major banks and smaller institutions are offering investors the chance to change their debt to them, take advantage of refinance rebates that might be out there as well, and reduce 
your repayment by using a much lower assessment rate on your debt. So this is someone who is repaying the debt. The bank's saying, if you're repaying it there, then you may as well come to us and take and continue your debt obligations. We're going to make it a bit cheaper for you and put you on better terms. That refinancing has come to light over the past month or two. And this really helps investors because it opens up options to target their debt portfolios and make it a little bit cheaper for them. So it's a really good option for investors out there at the moment. And and it's a change that it's kind of taken us by surprise a little bit. And it's just come out over the last 60 days. Yeah, that's a big part because I think right now it's a sign of common sense. You know what I mean? But I'm glad we're actually having a good balance of both. We're having a balance of Australia's tough lending laws that allow people to be assessed at 9 and 10% rates. And that is the system that has protected us today. I think that's fair to say. Look, whilst a lot of people are not happy with that, it is the truth. Because had this interest rate cycle occurred and we had some of the parameters of lending in some other countries, we would not be in a pretty scenario today. I can tell you that right now. But because of our fantastic lending laws of the years in the past, that's created some buffer management for many up to that sort of 7% mark or a little bit above. Yep. And now we move into 9 and 10% mark. So, I mean, God forbid any interest rates ever get to there, but at least it's good to know that the households are sitting there. And now we mix it in with a little bit of common sense where people are unlikely to ever see those interest rate cycles. Yep. And we're now having assessment rates. So really good call out. And Redham, just on that, how do people get in touch with you on Confidence Finance to be able to reach out with the team and, and have a chat on those refinances? Because they are you know, not as smoothly operated by all brokers because there's a lot of unique policy that happens underneath it that you need to be able to understand. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, we've been doing a lot of this business over the last month or two. So reach out to us if you want to review your finances and see if you qualify for this. So if you're an investor with non-bank lenders, it's worth asking the question in particular as to whether you qualify for this or not, because you'll probably find that there'll be a rate reduction process for you and you'd be a big beneficiary from this. So to reach out to us, www.confidencefinance.com.au. You can reach out to me personally on LinkedIn as well. Read them, say it on LinkedIn. I'm there every day. Um, So yeah, those will be the avenues to reach out to us. And yeah, I can just give that message to all investors. If you haven't heard of this, you know, and you've been in a position where you think you don't have financing options, Take another look now because you may be able to reduce your repayments from these new lending policies that are out. Um, they haven't got all that much attention as well. You know, it's worth highlighting and communicating this to investors in this position. Yeah, perfect, Redham. And for those uh, who are keen to know a little bit more about the rest of this research paper, uh, there are a few other rules that we haven't uncovered. And for you to uncover them, learn more about them, I'll give you a few of the headers, but I promise you, you'd want to download this report. It's totally free, as all our research papers have been. And that too, or every single month we put these out. Rule number one, under supply for sale, building and rent. Lots of things going on fundamentally in Australia that will be covered off in that rule. Rule number three, the local economy matters more than the macro economy. And there's a bit of a deep dive into some localized economic data, which should help you figure out what's happening. And rule number four, inflation might be your enemy now with interest rates, but I kid you not, it will be your enemy long-term if you don't do something about it. And that is why doing something is better than doing nothing when it comes to investing. There are sayings and people twist the saying however they want to. Some people say cash is king. Some people say cash is trash. 
you make your own decisions and you decide what you think is the way forward. But these are the five rules in this research paper. And Redham, I want to thank you so much for joining me on the show. That's Redham from Confidence Finance and also for collaborating on this research paper. Redham yourself and Jung, our, our favorite research analyst, because she's the only top dog research analyst there at uh, Investigate. <laughs> And um, with the rest of the Investigate team as well, Anas and Data Science and uh, the junior research analysts in the squad as well. Thank you all. Everything here coming together has produced a very, very helpful research paper. And uh, with all this here, I'm confident Aussies tuning in will be able to figure out the five rules to really ensure whilst you're investing in interest rate periods that are higher, you can protect yourself because these protection points will not only help you short term, but long-term, and of course, get any appropriate advice, whether it's you know buyers, agents, financial planners, whoever it may be, to get the right advice to help you on your journey. So thank you so much, Redham, and thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Absolute pleasure. Catch you, Andrew. Cheers. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you. Guests appearing on this podcast may have a commercial relationship with the companies mentioned. Game over.